You know, we were created to worship God. And worship is literally saying that we love Him, that we're grateful for everything He's done for us, that we trust Him. Come on, He's worthy of our praise. And give Him one more big hand today. Lord, we do love you. Amen. Well, tell your neighbor, you are glad to see them this morning, and you may be seated. I'm still looking for that little baby to dedicate, and if a little one's not here, we'll take a big baby. So any big babies that need to dedicate to the Lord, we'll, we'll get you in gear as well. Hey, great to see you this morning. I really want to encourage you, you know, this time of the year, a million things to do, and you just kind of get tired and a little lethargic, and, and you need a spiritual bump in the middle of the week. This encounter service we're doing Wednesday, we do this just several times a year, so it's really special. Where it's, it's a night just dedicated to worship, to prayer, to personal ministry, uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and that starts prayer at 630 and the service at 7, and sure hope that you'll be a part of that with us. Well, turn your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 13. We're going to look at verse 12, and this is the time of the year. How I many of this is the time of the year you're supposed to be happy? Come on. It's the time of year when everything is supposed to be great. But in reality, sometimes we get a little bummed out in this time of the year. And I found a picture of a guy that just kind of embodies this. See my buddy here? And he's got a Christmas hat on. He's got his elf's hat on, but he is not happy. And I found the music he's been listening to. So take a peek at what this guy's been doing. Well, anybody ever get blue any time this time of the year? I get blue sometimes. I'll tell you what. Uh, Thanksgiving time, I was a little sick before I left. Went to see my family in Mississippi. And lo and behold, I was sick when I left. You know, not as sick as this guy that we saw on the screen, but uh, I was pretty sick. Which, by the way, Elvis may be here in a little bit. So if he is anywhere in the building, come up. We'll let him sing it himself. How about that? But anyway, I went to Mississippi for the holidays, and I was sick when I got there. And the silliest thing, I'm 55 years old, but I went in my mom's house with some expectations from childhood. You know what I'm talking about? And it's just not the same when you grow up. And to make matters worse, there was no water for duck hunting. So I'm telling you, my whole world was falling apart. Go ahead and say, aw. You might even tell your neighbor, God must care more for the little ducks than he does you, preacher. So, But anyway, sometimes you just kind of get the blues. You know, sometimes life is not always perfect. Uh, we have to deal with disappointment, things that go wrong, things that we wish were different, things that we, you know, hope would get better and turn things around, and we just, things don't go well. And I want to share a message with you this morning called 3D Glasses. 3D Glasses, those three Ds are disappointment, discouragement, and depression. Now, they're like three ugly stepsisters. They're just as mean as they can be. Come on. And they tend to get worse. And these 3D glasses, how I many know they just make you see things uh, a little bit differently? You put these old glasses on here, and the world just kind of gets distorted. Reality is altered, and it's not really true. My daughter, Rebecca, conned me into going to see Ice Age 4 several months ago. 
So if you have the privilege to see that, I mean, you get in there in those 3D glasses and all those creatures are around there and birds would fly at me and, okay, don't laugh now. But when that bird flew at me, I did like that. And then sometimes you wanted to reach out and touch something, but you never could get it because it's not real. And, and how many know these glasses, discouragement, disappointment, depression, alter reality, what's really not true? It's like they show you something that feels real, but how many know just because it feels real doesn't mean it is real? How many know you may not feel that God cares? I can't tell you how many times I looked at my little phone and watched, watched uh, green and red and yellow uh, rain go over where I'd like my little duck spot is, and I go to check it, and it's as dry as it can be. I mean, I mean, you just feel like, well, gosh, God, you're the one that sends the rain. Now, I understand the grand scheme of life. You know, water in a duck spot is not a big deal. But any duck hunters here, by the way? Can I go with you wherever you, wherever you, you, you may go? Uh, water is a big deal to us, isn't it? Yeah, sure it is. Just like your hobby. Okay, how about sales, ladies? You go to the store and they're advertising 50% off and you drive all the way to Dallas for the 50% off sale at your favorite store, okay? And you get up there and it's a 50% off sale of a little bitty table in the front of the store and everything else is full price. Are you upset? All right, you are disappointed. Well, anyway, disappointment comes, but it gives us a distorted view of the way things are. And I suggest to you, the Bible has something to say about this that I think is going to help you this morning. The Bible is very candid. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Now, we're talking about not having things that you want to have. Maybe the holiday seasons reminded you of that. Maybe you've lost something and you can't get it back. Maybe you got a bad report. Maybe there's some circumstances that you really, really, really want to change, but they've not yet changed. How many know this, the Bible says, makes the heart sick? The Message Bible translates it, uh, unrelenting disappointment leaves you heart sick. But then it says, a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. So literally, disappointment makes you sick inside, but how many know God can lift you up? And that's the message that we want to talk about this morning, a reality that all of us face, things that make us sad, things that we feel like we can't control, things that disappoint us, that let us down. But yet in the middle of all this, how many know God has the ability, maybe not just to make things go away instantly, but to help us walk in victory rather than in sadness and, and, and being bummed out. Well, we're going to look at two, actually three Bible characters this morning about this particular truth. The first is a guy named David. Now, we've been with him for three or four weeks. We're going to finish with David this morning. But David faced something that could not change. And we're going to talk about that because most things in your life and my life can change. Most things can get better. And most things, if we just hang in there and stay with God, we'll see improvement. But sometimes, in David's case, a child died. And how many know when that's over, it's over? Well, there's a right way to respond to that disappointment to help bring you to the next spot so God can turn things around in your life. But then we'll look at John the Baptist's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, two righteous people that literally waited perhaps 40 years to have a baby. All their life they had dreamed of a child, but it seemed like it was elusive to them. But finally, their son, one of the greatest men that ever lived, John the Baptist, was born. And their message to us this morning is, don't give up and don't quit. Don't lose your faith. Keep serving God daily because your choice to put God first, to serve the Lord, could well be the thing that causes the answer to your prayer to come and your disappointment to go. So let's look in the Bible together. Uh, let me just read a little more background first before we look at David. Psalm 102, 
Because I want to underscore the fact that even godly people wear these 3D glasses. Godly people have to deal with disappointment and discouragement and even depression. We are not Superman or Superwoman. We may feel like we are. We may feel like we're exempt from these things. But the Bible says the rain falls on the just and unjust alike. There are things that comes when the enemy invades our life. And we have to fight back against him. But listen to the psalmist. Psalm 102. He says these words. He says, my, my heart is sick. My heart is sick. It's withered like grass. I've even lost my appetite. And it was not a diet, by the way. Psalm 6, David said these words, I'm worn out from sobbing. I cry myself to sleep. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching, drenching it with my tears. But then he fast forwards to verse 9 where it says, The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord will answer my prayer. So what David is literally saying is he said, I'm facing some real, real, real challenges. And when it's just me alone in the dark, it really bums me out. Tears have come to my eyes, but yet faith grew in my heart. I didn't turn my back on God, and God didn't turn his back on me. And how many know that's what we as Christians have? We have hope no matter what's in our world. Well, um, and let me say this too. It's okay to even ask God why. It's not sacrilegious. It's not being disrespectful. Uh, again, the psalmist, Psalm 42, Oh God, my rock, I cry. Yeah, why have you forgotten me? Now, how many know that, those, that phrase was said with these glasses on? Now, it's awkward because how many know if God is your rock, come on, that's stability, that's security, and that's what's true, but how many know the feelings are these glasses that God's forgotten me? I mean, no feelings, they're very, very real. But how many of our feelings can lie to us? It's not true. Again, the psalmist, Psalm 22, David said these words, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Again, was it true? No, but the glasses made it feel like it was true. And it even affected Jesus that way. Jesus on the cross in Matthew 27, Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So the why question, it's not wrong to ask why, but here's the issue. The issue is, what do I do next? After I've asked God why, after I have prayed, what do I do now? Do I stay home on the couch and bemoan my situation? Do I go from day four to day five, come on with the same sweatpants on? You know the ones I'm talking about that have a hole in it that just fit, just, everything is just perfect. I mean, hope you change the t-shirt, but you know, do I just kind of stay in that mode or what is the next step I take? Well, I think these guys will help us in the Bible, David first and then Zechariah and Elizabeth. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 12 and from David we learn this, God's presence will help me deal with things I can't change. Now, I'm not talking about presence, you know, like Pastor Travis was looking for me yesterday. I'm sure he was out to buy my gift, but he didn't. I'm sure that as well. I'm not talking about those kind of presents, but I'm talking about the reality of God. I'm not talking about anything mystical or spooky, but I'm talking about a sense that God is real and God cares about me. And when life was overwhelmed, when I just got close to God, come on, how many know life changes? If there's something that I would tell you today, one of the most dramatic changes that have ever happened in my life, in my childhood I was raised to go to church and I was raised around religion. And August 15, 1976, I committed my life to Christ and God became real. I invited God to be a part of my life. I said, Lord Jesus, I want you to forgive me and be my Savior. And listen, I commit my life to follow you. I'm telling you something supernatural happened. God became real. 
Rather than singing songs about God, I began to sing to him. Rather than, rather than reciting recorded prayers or 911 desperate prayers, I began to talk to him as my heavenly father. Listen, that can happen to every one of us. That's what it means to be saved or to be born again. But David tells us these words about the presence of God. Let's read now. 2 Samuel 12, verse 14. From last week, but because by this is Nathan the prophet speaking to David, because by doing this you've shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. Now, let's pick up the storyline. You remember David, uh, the Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart. Now, how many know even people that love God make mistakes? And last week, the big no-no, David's mistake was, number one, he committed adultery, and then number two, he murdered, come on, the husband of the, of the lady... I mean, that's really bad. That's not something a godly guy would do. But then they move in together and they got a baby. She's pregnant. Everything's going to be okay. But then God comes and God exposes him through Nathan the prophet. David repents. David said, God, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? You remember it last week? He ran to God, not away from him. And then God forgave him, but there were terrible consequences that followed sin, as it always is the case. And this child, this innocent child, is going to die because of David's mistake. Well, that's where we go to the story. Verse 16, David pleaded with God for the child. Now, mind you, we don't know how old the baby is, but this young child now is sick. And you know what it's like when your baby says, Mommy, I don't feel good. Mommy, I hurt. Mommy, please help me. You know what that's like, and you know how you would do anything possible to help that baby. Well, David now carries this agonizing guilt because it was his sin that brought this on this child. Well, he pleads with, and here's what he does. The Bible says he fasted, which means he abstained from food and possibly drink. He spent nights, plural, lying in sackcloth on the ground. Sackcloth was like you putting on wool, if you've ever put wool next to your body, not on a t-shirt, but it's just scratchy, and it was a reminder of, of contrition and remorse that something has been wrong, and this reminder, so he literally goes to church for a week, seven days, he doesn't go to work, he's not eating, he's just laying before God, he's praying, he's being quiet, he's crying out to God, and this is what he's done, but then verse, uh, verse 18, on the seventh day, the child died, now how many know that's an attention getter? And this I suggest to you, David is at a defining moment in his life. He's either going to get disappointment to depression or somehow he's going to find God's ability to help him go forwards to find life. Well, the, verse 18, the child dies. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. Now listen, they thought that he might do something desperate, which is what? Yeah, suicide. I read just a couple of days ago, a, a scientist was very concerned because kids around the world are reason, reading about this crazy Mayan calendar. Supposedly on December 21st, the world is coming to an end. Can I tell you? Absolutely not true. Uh, if you want to have lunch on the 22nd, we can. We will be here unless Jesus comes back. How many know Jesus, not the Mayans, are in control of world history? Colossians 1.17 says, Jesus hold all things together. And listen, my barometer for the end of the world is not the Mayans, but it's Jesus' words in Matthew 24 when he said, the gospel will be preached to all nations and then the end will come. So don't worry about uh, uh, the 21st there. But people get desperate. They take their life. They become suicidal. They feel like giving up. This is what happens when you have despair and you don't have God. Now, let's keep going. Verse 19, David, David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Verse 20, then David got up from the ground. Notice what he did now, and this is crucial. He gets up from the ground. What does he do? Washes his face. 
He puts on lotion. He changes his clothes. And then what did he do? He went to the house of God. He went to church and he worshipped. Everybody say he worshipped. What is he doing? He is connecting with God. It's not a tradition, but he is going to meet with God. And I suggest to you the message of David in the middle of our disappointment, the way to find some sense of going forwards can happen to us if we make a connection with the presence of God. Now, let's keep going with this. He wanted a miracle, but it did not happen. And sometimes in our life, circumstances don't change and we have to live with it. Now, listen, we live in a broken world that carries the stain of evil. We make mistakes. Come on. Sometimes we face things that we cannot fix. Now, usually something can happen on the other side. But how many know when you go to the cemetery, you leave the baby there? Sometimes things happens like, happens like that. But David shows us what to do. Wash your face. Go to church and worship. Literally, he's telling us, make a choice to draw near for an encounter with the presence of God. Now, I want to look at that phrase, the presence of God. It may be new to you. It was very new to me when I became a Christian. I have since over the years learned to look for that. Now, theologically, we understand what's called the omnipresence of God, which somehow God can and is everywhere at the same time. I don't understand that, but how many know God is living in a different realm than we are? The Bible says when Jesus comes back, every eye will see him. Well, now how in the world could that happen if he's coming in Jerusalem? Come on. And how in the world can every eye see him? Oh, pastor, television, Jesus is going to be on TV. I don't think you're going to have to look on your smartphone to see Jesus coming back. He just lives in a different reality than we do. Come on. And in this, who, who God is, well, here's what David says about his presence. See, the manifest presence, or the uh, omnipresence is everywhere, but the manifest presence is when this omnipresent God comes in a very real way to who we are and where we are. You know, in the Bible, you see this often. The day of Pentecost, the manifest presence of God came to the church. Uh, when they dedicated the temple, it appeared as a cloud. Now, I've never seen the presence of God with some tangible way like that, but yet I have very much in my spirit sensed that God is real. I'm not talking about music that sedates you or, or excites you. I'm talking about the reality of God. And David found that. Listen, he drew to God in worship. Now, David writes in Psalm 16 that you, God, make known to me the path of life. And isn't that what we're looking for when we're down? Life. But notice what it says. It says, in your presence, there's what? Fullness of joy. Not just a little happier. Come on, just give me just a little bit of a smile. No, we're talking about where God is able to turn your sadness into joy. We're talking about, your, that doesn't mean your circumstances are going to always change. How many know you can change before your circumstances changed? How many know the presence of God can give you a different perspective? The presence of God, when your perspective has become distorted by those 3D glasses and things are jumping around at you. Hey, these lights are pretty cool with these things, actually. There's little halos around them, and there's reds and greens and yellows. But in the 3D movie, stuff's flying at you, but it's not real. You, you can't reach out and grab it, though it seems like I could just put that light right in my hand. But it's not true. But the presence of the Lord can take that off. And it can give you the ability to see clearly. The best antidote for disappointment is the presence of God. 
Now, now, let me say this. You may be in a season of your life where depression defines you. I tell people all the time, if you've got something that is long-term going on, it may be spiritual, it may be physical, go to the doctor, get a good physical, come on, check out, make sure the thyroid's okay and all those things. But if it's not something physical, it could be something emotional or something spiritual, and Satan can take advantage of it and control your life. But the best antidote for disappointment is the presence of God. Get close to God and He is real. So doesn't it make sense that the most logical way, if you've lost your joy, the most logical way to get it back is to get into the presence of the Lord. Come on, as quick as you can and stay there as often as you can. I mean, is that just not logical for the Christian is that we want to get closer to God so He becomes more real to us. Now, here's the big question. How can I experience the presence of God? How can I know this reality that you're talking about, Pastor? Listen, I have found it in my alone time with God. I've found it when it's just me and the Bible or, or, or me in the car when I turned the radio off and, and, and nothing came in the car. Nothing was visually different, but I just began to feel differently because God was near. It could be when an encouraging friend comes across your pathway and they pray for you. And in the place of prayer, there's this sense of God. But, but here's what David wrote about. Now, you remember, what did he do when he, when he got up, he washed his face, and he went to the house of God to worship? Notice what he said in Psalm 95. It says, let us come into his presence with what? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Let us make a, a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. So come into his presence with thanksgiving, with songs of praise. Psalm 100 says, come into his presence with singing. So what is this saying? It's saying that anointed music is an invitation to the presence of God. An anointed singer, someone who is anointed to, I don't care what, play the guitar, play the piano, play the flute. There's just, there's something that's different. Now, how many know not all music does that? I've been noticing lately that uh, in my worldly days, one of my favorite bands were the Rolling Stones and Mick Jagger. But now they're on tour again, and they can't even barely give their tickets away because they're all almost 70 years old, and the world has changed. I'm telling you, Mick Jagger can't bring you the joy that Jesus can bring. Unless you're drinking and smoking pot, you're still going to have those 3D glasses on, and how many know that's not going to ultimately help you? Because you're going to wake up in the morning with a headache or wondering what happened to you. Come on. I'm not just talking about music, but I am talking about anointed music that has the ability to touch your heart. Now listen what worship can do. You remember the story of David and King Saul? You remember when Saul was being tormented? He was tormented because literally he had disqualified himself from being the king. God had taken his Holy Spirit away and evil had come into his life. The Bible says it was an evil spirit from the Lord. The Message Bible says that he had a great depression come on him. And he called for David to come and play his harp. And when David played, the moodiness left him. But what we understand is this presence of evil around his life left because the presence of the Lord took its place. Now, if we want to hear something today as far as these glasses, how to take off these glasses, when something bad happens to you, you get a bad report, things don't work out, you don't have what you want to have, David is telling us, get into the presence of the Lord. And one of the greatest ways is through anointed worship and music. 
My wife told, said this week, she said, Honey, I want you to find me some, get some worship songs. I want to put them on my iPad. I, I want them on my phone. I want a CD if I'm in the car. Because if I feel this junk get on me, come on, I want to fight it with the presence of the Lord. When I don't feel strong in my own ability to be able to combat it and just put on a happy face, I need the help of God, come on, to help drive and push evil away from me. And how many know... That's what we do when we come here. We don't just sing songs. This is not just a song service, you know, where we're being entertained. If that's what you're doing, listen, better to be here than staying home doing that. But I'm telling you, there's something a little more that's available from the worshiper when you engage God. And that's why we come together. I hope you don't just wait for the sermon. The sermon's important. The Bible's important. But listen, you can connect with God. Come on, in worship in a way you can never connect with God by just listening to me talk. I'm telling you. Now, the Bible is true and it's right, but there's something about worship. And that's exactly what David did. When he was facing something that was devastating in his own life, he washed his face, he went to the house of God, and he worshiped. I mean, if that got the, David, the glasses off for David, it can get them off for you as well. Give the Lord a, a good hand this morning. Go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and let's shift gears now. Again, David taught us that there are some things that you can't change. What do you do after that? Now, what Zechariah and Elizabeth will teach us is there are things that can be changed in your life. But you have to, the only way your disappointment's going to turn into joy, listen, is if you continue to serve the Lord. Now, this is a big thing because this is about staying with God even when the glasses have distorted reality for a long period of time. Let's look. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Now, the, the names are significant. The name Zechariah means God remembers. Everybody say, God remembers. And who is his wife? Yeah, but, but, but names meant something. Elizabeth's name meant God has made a promise. So if your wife is named God's made a promise and the husband's name God remembers, every time you look at one another, you're thinking about something God has promised you. Okay? How about if I named you spaghetti and you lasagna? Does that not just give a visual impression to your mind? The only thing lacking is, do you want whole wheat noodles or do you want traditional pasta? But spaghetti is spaghetti. For me, I like the long ones that squiggle and I like the wheat. But, but I know when I say spaghetti, I, you don't have to explain anything else. I know what it is. When you said Zechariah, God remembers. When you said Elizabeth, God's made a promise. Now with that, let's read their story because Zechariah was a priest. He was chosen by God to serve in the temple in a special way. Uh, Luke 1 verse 5, the priest Zechariah's wife Elizabeth. But now look at verse 6. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God. That's a big thing. That word righteous means they were godly and upright. They're living according to the will of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Now, how many know that's a pretty good testimony? Living before God in such a, such a fashion. But look at verse 7. But they were childless. Now, you would think if, if God was performance-based... Which, the Bible does teach this now. I mean, there are consequences for behavior. Come on, you obey the Lord and you follow the Lord. The Bible does clearly teach that, you know, God will bless you. There's consequences for good behavior and consequences for bad. But there are times when God withholds the answer from coming. Now, this is pretty key. These guys, if you could have earned the blessing, you'd have gotten it. Now, the Bible goes on to say they were childless and they're both very old. 
Now, this world, word child, we don't know how old they were, but I want you to imagine, let's say they're 60, and how many know 60-year-old ladies don't need to be having babies? And everybody said, Amen. the ladies did anyway. They're old, but this Greek word for childless implies beyond the hope of ever having a child. But every time you look at your wife, God has made a promise. And every time she looks at you, God remembers. Now, the Bible, we could look at verses that promised children to those that were godly. Now, if you didn't have a child, it was a sign of disgrace and it was a sign of shame. And it was even in the Old Testament... Divine punishment would be to close the womb. But in this case, that's not true. So what we've got is this great enigma going on. We've got godly, righteous people, but not getting the very thing they wanted. Let's keep reading. Verse 13, then, of course, he's in the temple. He's offering incense, and and, and there's prayers. And the angel appears to him and said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. So what does that mean? What was he praying for? Yeah, he's praying for his son, but he's all his life waited and it hadn't happened. Do you think that there was maybe just a little bit of a temptation to wake up in the morning and put your glasses on? You think it's maybe time to get to work that Elizabeth has said, Okay, honey, look, the alarm has gone off several times. You can only hit your snooze six times. It's time to get out of the bed. I don't feel like it. Why not, honey? Well, God's not doing what he said he was going to do. And I fasted and I prayed and I'm seeking God. I know, honey, God remembers. And it just seems like he took off the glasses, he got up and he began to serve the Lord. Blameless, righteous, does not imply you don't have a struggle. Your prayer has been heard, which means for, we don't know, but let's, they probably married young. Now they're old. So let's say they got married at 20. The object of their day was not to have as few children as possible. It was to have as many as possible. So they'd been praying and trying to have a baby. So let's say from 20 to 60, 40 years. But he's still praying because God remembers. Come on. And God has made a promise. What we know that they don't know is that God had a clock that was ticking between Malachi and Matthew. And there were hundreds of years when God was silent, nothing was going on in the religious world, but all of a sudden God said, now it's time. Jesus is getting ready to be born pretty soon. I've got the girl, Mary, picked out. Now we need his forerunner, John the Baptist, to go before him, who the Bible says of those born of women, none was greater than John the Baptist. So doesn't it make sense that God needed some special parents for John the Baptist? But Guni also agreed that they probably had to deal with these 3D glasses, come on, for decades of their life. But somehow they chose to keep serving God day by day, hour by hour, year by year, even though it was difficult. And that's the message that's resonating. Verse 14, this child, Elizabeth's going to bear a son. You'll call him John, and he will be a what? A joy and a delight to you. Now, isn't joy, isn't that where life is coming from? And disappointment is just the opposite. So God's going to bring this to you, and many will rejoice because of His birth. So, Galatians 6, 9 tells us this. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest. What's it say? So does it not make sense then, conversely, if you do give up, what's going to happen? You'll die disappointed. 
You'll just veer off the road. I guarantee you there's an empty chair next to you that used to have a Christian just like you worshiping God. Come on. But something happened, and the God who was supposed to be good wasn't good, and I don't understand. We forget sometimes that we live in a world that's laced with evil. I remember I used to take one of my kids to a little hamburger place, and, and they'd eat vegetable soup. And one day I, was looked, I looked over, and there was this napkin there, and there was this pile of onions and celery piled up there. And, you know, the potatoes are good and the carrots are good and the meat's good. But, boy, the rest of that stuff, I don't want it, so I'm going to selectively pick it out. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just get rid of all the evil in life? Wouldn't it be nice, come on, if nobody got sick, if nobody died, if nobody lost their job, you know, if you didn't have to go to the dentist, if you didn't have all this problem and that problem and everybody got along and there was no anger and no violence and no war, wouldn't it be nice if we could just pick it out? One day God will do that. One day, Revelation tells us there's going to be no more dying, no more crying, no more sadness, sorrow, or pain, for the former things are all over. But from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, we live in the world that you cannot pick the onions out. The onions got in, in a food processor, and they got parade, so those onions are just there, and you can't get them out, and that's what we live in. We live in a world with evil in it. Yeah. But I'm telling you, don't put glasses on just because the onions are in soup. If you will continue to live for God, God will be faithful. Amen. He was faithful to John the Baptist's parents. Come on, and he'll be faithful to us. Do you remember the scripture, Romans eight twenty eight? What's it say? It says, and we hope really hard when we cross our fingers and we cross our arms and our legs. And what in the world does knocking on wood mean? Can you tell me that? No. It doesn't say anything like that. We are certain and sure that those who love God, and if you love God, wave your hand at me. We're certain because we love God that some things work together for good, but every once in a while an onion will make it in there. Now, does it say all things are good? No. It says all things work together for good. What does that mean? David messes up. He does the big no-no, but he continues to walk with God, and Solomon is born. John the Baptist's parents wait 40 years, had no idea that there was a kingdom purpose behind what was going on. They hadn't done anything wrong. If there's a kingdom purpose at work, that wouldn't have happened. Come on. But they're just serving God. All things work together for good to those that love the Lord, to those who are called according to His purpose. And that's huge because I'm not just living for myself for a pain-free life. It is the purpose of God, come on, that we find context for our life. And that's what John the Baptist's parents are showing us. We're not living for ourselves. We're living for Him. Come on. And we're not just living for Him to get the child. We're living for Him because we love Him and we set our affection on Him and have chosen to seek Him above all else. And how many know that's a great, great lesson to learn that I can take off those glasses if I make a choice every day to just serve the Lord day by day, hour by hour, year by year. And one day, come on, God will turn my sadness into joy when John the Baptist comes along. Well, let me wrap up with this. Let's go back to where we started our text. Proverbs 13, 12. You remember where hope deferred makes the heart sick. That unrelenting disappointment leaves your heart sick. But a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. A desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Now, how many know this is what we're looking for? The glasses are symbolic of death. The glasses are distortion, it's disappointment, it's an emptiness, it's a sadness. But how many know God is the giver of life? 
And when you're disappointed, how many know you want to get out of it as quick as you can? And David showed us what to do. David showed, wash your face, come on. Wash your face and get into the presence of God. Go to church as quick as you can. And that's the lesson that this guy showed us. David showed us, listen, friends, that if I'll just stay faithful to God, God will be stay faithful to me. David showed us that not all things are good. Bad things may happen in life, but listen, a Solomon will come in my life if I'll just be a worshiper. And it's the presence of God that will help me go forwards. See, the presence of God didn't come before he started worshiping. The presence of God comes after we engage with God. But when we do, my friends, God will turn things around. David found it true. All things did work together for good. Was it sad that the boy baby died? Absolutely. But joy came when Solomon was born. And can I tell you this? The God who brought Solomon into the world is the same God who can bring life into your world. Amen. See, things that could not be changed. One child that we don't even know the name died. The next child we do know, come on, because God is a good God. And when we begin to re-engage him, even after our mistakes, God puts our life together. The message of John the Baptist's parents to us are simply this. Hang in there. Don't give up and quit because you don't understand life. Don't give up and quit because life is hard. Don't give up and quit when you get disappointed. Don't give up and quit because your prayer has not been answered yet. You be faithful to serve God every day. You be faithful to live for God. Endeavor to the best of your ability to live a blameless life. Let your testimony be, this is a righteous and a devout man. And my friend, when you look as they did at one another, God has made a promise, Elizabeth, and God remembers Zechariah. I see you when I get home from work. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to just take advantage of this moment. And I just want to invite you to join me in worshiping God for just a minute. You know, when I worship the Lord, oftentimes I'll shut my eyes. And it's not because I'm being spooky. It's because I, just, I don't want to be distracted by you. And uh, you may want to just join me and just have a private moment with God. You may want to just reach out to God. It's very natural to lift up your heart and your hands to heaven, to your heavenly Father, as you're desiring Him. Let's just sing this song. Praise you, Lord. Sing it with us. They're just going to keep singing that song, but I'd just like to make an opportunity because I know many of you, the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you in this message. I know there's a lot of people that are here today that those glasses just tend to come on and off of your life. But today, God has given you some hope that there's some things I just need to wash my face. Come on. And I need the grace of God to go forwards after him. For others that are here today, what you need is you need the grace and strength of God every day to live for God until things change. But if we could just pray for you this morning, that God would give you his strength, I believe it would help. Just right where you are, someone near you is going to pray for you. But if you wrestle a little bit with disappointment and you're wanting God's strength this morning, you're wanting God to help this message become real in your life and you need it, just lift your hand right now. Just lift your hand and somebody just look around and there's just people all over the building. I want you to just put your hand on their shoulder. 
Come on, just look around. Whenever you see somebody, won't you just put your hand right on their shoulder? You don't have to ask them anything or say a, say a word. Just look around you right now. Come on, there's many here that need somebody to just place their hand on their shoulder right now and just stand with them. Come on, just begin to sing it again over the people, Pastor Nick. God, you are faithful. Lord, we just want to say we welcome your presence. And we pray that we wouldn't come and go from your presence, but we would live in the shadow of the Almighty. That's what the psalmist said. They that live in the shadow of the Almighty, who make their home in his refuge, will know him as their rock. So, Lord, today as we prepare to leave, we just say we love you. And we desire you all the days of our life. Carried by your constant grace, held within your perfect peace. Never once, no, we never walk alone.